0: This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 128, the RX for Leadership, with our guest, Daniel Rex, CEO, Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is Greg Gazin. Fellow listeners, we have a treat today. With us today we have the Chief Executive Officer of Toastmasters International, Daniel Rex. He leads the Toastmasters World Headquarters in providing service resources and support to over 365,000 members and over 17,000 clubs in 143 countries. He works closely with the International President and Board of Directors to develop the future Toastmasters and create and execute plans and strategies to reach those goals. Dan has been with Toastmasters for over 25 years, and during that time, he has led several departments, giving him a unique perspective and impressive depth of knowledge of the organization. In 2008, he assumed the role of Executive Director, a title that was changed to Chief Executive Officer in 2013. Dan Rex, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Nice to chat with you today.
0: For the benefit of our listeners, it's bright and early on a Saturday morning. Some of you are probably still lying in bed. Maybe some of you are watching some Saturday morning cartoons, or perhaps you're having your morning coffee or tea. And I'm here sitting in the living room of Postmasters International, past International President, Neil Wilkinson, with Dan Rex in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is part of District 99. So just think about that as you listen to today's session. First and foremost, Dan, first of all, welcome once again. What brought you to Edmonton this weekend?
1: Well, I think the winter brought me to Edmonton, a cool zero degrees C, freezing Fahrenheit, um, so a nice fall weekend. An old friend brought me to Edmonton, Peter Kosawan, who I met 29 years ago, uh, celebrating 50 years in Toastmasters and 50 years of a very special Toastmasters club. And I had the opportunity to come and be part of that celebration and share a little bit of my experience about Toastmasters with Peter and recognize his contributions to the organization.
0: Peter's an amazing man. Again, he's been a mentor to me. He's been a mentor for many people. He's changed many lives. Now, this special connection has a really interesting story behind it. And interestingly enough, I didn't hear this story until last night at the special event. And Dan, I wanna ask you to just, obviously you can't tell the whole story, but just share. A good portion of the story for the listeners. I think it's a great story. Absolutely.
1: Thank you. Uh, In my first couple of weeks with uh, with the company, uh, my boss asked me to write a manual on club building. And I had no idea how to approach that topic, but he referred me to Peter Koswan. I'd never met Peter before, and I knew that he was going to be at the International Convention in Dallas, Texas in July of 1990. So I set an appointment with him and spent three or four memorable hours. I asked him the process for starting a club and took pages and pages of notes he led me through his perspective and experiences I think at that time he'd probably been involved in the formation of at least 50 clubs and I drafted some content but most of all I listened to Peter and I learned about him his perspective and experiences of the organization and it gave me a much deeper feel for who we are than I'd had up to that point and I I, do, I didn't know last night if he was going to remember that conversation with little old twenty six year old me, but uh, I think he did, and it was a uh, an early turning point for me and my ex- education about Toastmasters.
0: Peter remembers a lot of things, especially
1: the most intricate of of details, and obviously the manual worked. Yeah, the manual worked. You know, it it went from a couple of pages of brochures before then to the How to Build a Toastmasters Club Manual and. You know, it's been around the world. And the, the the processes that Peter and I talked about that day have been used in the formation of probably tens of thousands of new clubs from here in Edmonton to the other side of the planet. It's quite exciting to think about what that little piece of work has accomplished or helped accomplish, and supported the accomplishment of. That's incredible.
0: Let's just stay a little bit on the nostalgic trip. How did you discover Toastmasters? How did you come to join? How did you come... How did you get to the organization?
1: My first contact with Toastmasters, I was in graduate school in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was approaching graduation and I knew that I needed to add a few more things to the bottom of my resume. So I attended a club meeting and I paid my dues and signed up and watched some people giving speeches, observed how the club works. I'd done a lot of speaking and teaching and I thought it was a little strange. and, And honestly, I never went back. But a couple of years later, living in Southern California, looking for the next step in my career, and I saw an advertisement for a membership manager job. And I thought, oh, I remember Toastmasters. So I applied and eventually was employed. And that that started my personal path, my journey with the organization.
0: So obviously, a lot of time has passed and and things have changed. (laughs) You've come a long way since the early days of sitting there scribbling notes. I think you referred to yourself as a... Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, Jimmy
1: Olsen. I was the newspaper reporter kid kind of back in those days. The organizations evolved, I've certainly changed.
0: How have you changed as a leader, though?
1: Well, I went from from a young man who'd had, I'd done a lot of leadership roles. I was involved in Boy Scouts and, and other organizations where I'd had an opportunity to lead. But I remember the day when an area governor walked into my office and said, hey, we're starting a new club here in Rancho Santa Margarita, and I'd like you to help me out. And I figured, well, I'm selling the product. It's my job to market Toastmasters. I should be part of this. So I went with him, helped him plan, and went with him to a demonstration meeting and took part in that. I made the mistake of getting up and going to the washroom and came back, and I was the first club president of that community club, Rancho Speechmasters, that organized in 1992. That experience, serving as a club president, taught me an enormous amount about myself and working in an environment with people who didn't get paid to report to me. And it, it changed the way that I lead and the way that I work with Toastmasters around the world who, who are in this for altruistic reasons and, and enjoy the camaraderie and the program. But it's not about the paycheck. It's about making the world a better place. So a big part of my journey was that.
0: So it's not necessarily just a club thing where if you leave the room, you're elected president. It's no. like it's a national thing. It's an <laughs> think international thing. I that happens thing.
1: everywhere. I think that <laughs> happens everywhere. Ted Corcoran told me a great story about that happening to him. And I thought, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> Let's just stay
0: with the topic of change for a little while. You, With Toastmasters, you've witnessed the the metamorphosis, the, the transformation. Sure. You were part of it. You led it. I recall as a Toastmaster in 2011, the new rebranding with Toastmasters, the new tagline where leaders are made. And more recently, Pathways, which my understanding is the biggest overhaul, the education system since the 1940s. People in general seem to be resistant to change, yet it's something that we face constantly. What are some of the things when we're looking at creating a change? What are some of the things that need to be thought of? What are some of the types of
1: decisions that need to be made when going through such a process, particularly a large one that you went through? Well, the easiest thing about change is decide what the right thing is to do because the the world, the environment tells us where the organization needs to go. The most difficult thing is is to determine the level of change that can be properly executed and absorbed by an organization like ours. We don't have a strict process of command and control. There's a whole lot of... uh, decision making that goes on at the local district club levels about um, whether or not to accept change and how to work with it. So there's an enormous amount of forethought that has to go into developing the processes that will enable positive change. Uh, With the branding in 2011, it was very successful and yet very difficult at the time. It's been enough years now that i I think we sort of feel like it's behind us, but that challenge I think will never never be over. There's so much individuality that comes from a club. When we get to pathways, I think the primary thing that I underestimated was the organization's inability to absorb positive change and the resistance of some people against any kind of momentous change. So there's a, there's a difference between what the right thing is to do and what we're actually able to do in a fast, effective way. Um, So with all changes, there are lessons learned. And and as we keep going down the path of never-ending change, the the learnings of the last five and ten years will support us as we continue to evolve.
0: Excellent. With respect to personal change, if people are having some difficulties dealing with change or dealing
1: with managing their own change, any suggestions or any tips for them? You know, it's funny. One of the parallels that I like to draw is the telephone. And I was talking to a Toastmasters audience once, and, and I asked people if they all remembered using rotary phones. And, and half the audience raised their hands and said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then I said, well, how many of you have a smartphone in your pocket right now? Ninety-eight percent of them raised their hand. And I said, well, it's going directly from a rotary phone to a smartphone. That's a big change. But the evolution along the way is what enabled us, all of us, with these big changes to be able to progressively get to the point with pathways we had not changed much since the early 1940s so the change was big and dramatic and hard and, and I would probably put it from going from maybe a crank phone or a rotary phone all the way to an iPhone that's a big change and difficult for people to process but the reality is that the world isn't going to slow down and isn't going to stop because of our desire to not change Changes all around us, and in fact, the world is changing faster than our organization is. So, if we're going to meet the demands not only of the members of today, and and learn how to meet the members of tomorrow, there's no choice but to change.
0: That's great. So, if
1: whenever someone comes to you and says, "Oh no, I can't do this. I, I
0: can't change. I'm sort of stuck in my ways," just ask them to pull the smartphone <laughs> of their pocket.
1: I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant. The the truth is that we all have to change, and. You know, when I grew up, my father was a huge influence on my life. And and you said well, if someone says I can't, the environment I grew up in, we weren't allowed to say I can't. We were required to figure out how to do it. And and that's a personal culture of mine. There just there is no can't. And I know that my kids, if they ever listen to this, will say, Oh, Dad, what do you mean there is no can't? We've heard that a thousand times. But there is no can't. All of us have the ability to do it. It's whether or not we decide to make the choice to move forward or to stay where we are. And and that's something that is up to each of us. Do it or not. That's already one of my big takeaways for today.
0: It was eight years ago this week, and I, I know the date because I had to look it up, and I was approached by an individual who said that we'd like to help some new Canadians get a better start in Canada by helping to build better speaking skills, better leadership skills, and interestingly enough, most of these people, English was their second, third. There was even a couple where English was their fourth language. Yeah. So, of course, I connected with Peter, and Peter did his, his magic, yeah. as you referred to in the past. And we sponsored the club. Now, what's interesting is that the charter celebration featured a potluck.
1: Mm.
0: At the event, there were at least 15 different cultures. Mm. And I was sitting there. We were having food. We were, we were talking. And Pastor Governor Chuck LeBlanc, who had been there to deliver the charter... I turned around and sort of gave him a little jolt here and I said, look around. I said, people are talking together, they're eating, they're breaking bread. I said, look at the camaraderie and the fellowship. Now, I can't recall exactly what I said. The essence of it was that if all nations could do what was happening here, break bread, communicate, then perhaps maybe many of our news headlines would look a lot differently today. I mean, Steve Jobs said that he wanted to make a dent in the world, and he did. So my question for you, what do you think that leaders can do today to become a catalyst for this type of change?
1: One of the most important roles of any leader is to bring people together to accomplish a common goal. And the, the challenge is determining what the common goal is and if that common goal is for the common good. And too often, I think, the goals are not for the common good. But when we come together and we are working for the common good, then goals are accomplished and and more people want to participate in the accomplishment of them. And leaders make choices. Leaders have to make tough decisions. There are always resource gaps. There are philosophical directions that they need to go in. Many of the challenges that we see across our nations and around the world are because there are not shared common goals. If we were to get to a point globally where the common benefit was our greatest objective, then I think many of the social, political, military challenges that we have today would disappear. Toastmasters can be a part of that. Um, I've known on small scale cases where individuals have been able to affect great change in their community, in their home, in their company. When that becomes more broad, when communication is open uh, and based around a common goal, And I think we'll get our world to a much better place than it is now. Sounds like a great plan.
0: Just to lighten things up a little bit, I know last night I discovered something really interesting, that you have no desk or no computer in your office. (laughs) I mean,
1: is that true? And and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I've evolved as a manager and as a leader with my team. One of the things I realized is that I started spending, probably seven or eight years ago, very little time behind a desk. Where I had spent twenty years behind a desk and working on projects or writing manuals or corresponding, but most of my work now revolves around conversations and making decisions and I find that conversations are best had in comfortable environments and so in my office, there are four comfortable chairs in uh, in a square, and it puts people. On equal footing. So when I have conversations one-on-one or three people in with me, it creates an environment of openness and trust and fosters open communication. So I've learned to adapt my physical surroundings to that. You know, I no longer work with a desktop computer. I have a laptop, so it might come out and end up on my knees in that (laughs) office. Uh, I also have a conference room nearby that if I need to work with a bigger group, we go in the conference room and meet. And and if I need a flat surface, to do some work with a lot of paper, uh, which is rare these days, then that's where I go. But I, I find that communication for me is the majority of my job and I have to find places where that works best. So sometimes it's in the office, sometimes it's walking around the building on the sidewalk or through the parking lot, giving people an opportunity where even we don't have to look each other in the eye sometimes helps people be more comfortable.
0: Yeah. It seems to make for better communications and a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun.
1: I think so. Yeah. I think it works well. Yeah.
0: Now, you're not always wearing a suit and tie on a Saturday morning.
1: <laughs> what do you like to do for fun, Dan? <laughs> well, I find that I enjoy things that have at least as much intensity as my work. And my work can be very intense. So I, I love to do things out of doors. I snow ski and find that incredibly enjoyable and relaxing. can be all-consuming. I enjoy scuba diving. Uh, scuba diving is a world unto itself where you separate from the land and and are completely immersed in and consumed by an environment. And I also ride motorcycles, something else that requires complete concentration and an escape from the rest of the world. So uh, occasionally I'll seek out places where there's no cell phone coverage deliberately to make sure that I can't be bothered. But at least once a day I'm checking text messages to see if there's anything going on in the Toastmasters world that needs my attention. I have a good enough team that I'm able to escape when I need to escape. That sounds great.
0: You may or not have ever heard this before, but I I had written your name down on a piece of paper, Mm. and I noticed that Dan Rex is R-E-X. What I saw was the R-X, and the R-X is the common lingo for prescription. Mm. So I thought that I would weave that into a question. Sure. It's obvious that there isn't a single prescription for effective leadership. Mm. So if you could offer one thing that you've learned over the years that you could share with the audience that perhaps they could use to help them
1: become more effective leaders, what would it be and why? Well, one of the things that people talk about is being an authentic leader. And authentic is often used to create a crutch around this is the way I am and this is how I behave. And so I don't have to change that. This is going to be my leadership style. And that's authentic for me. I think that's exactly the wrong direction. As leaders, being authentic to me means that we stick to our core values, but that we have immense tactical flexibility because we don't generally get to decide who the members of all of our teams are. Mm -hmm. and the members of our teams need different things so we have to evolve ourselves and modify the way that we work maybe someone needs more pats on the back than someone else other people want a quick description of what they need to do and then they'll go away and do it but we have to modify who we are to match the needs of the leaders to me that's being authentic
0: so you're adapting primarily to their personality
1: absolutely adapting some great reading on this one is the situational leader a fantastic book Dr. Carl Hersey. Excellent.
0: Well, Dan Rex, our our time has sadly come to an end. Thank you very much for your stage advice. Dan Rex, CEO, Toastmasters International. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you, Greg. It was fun. Glad I was able to come up.
0: Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes, because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about, and perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, Geared to ages 8 to 80, whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at OutsmartingTheButterflies.com.